Hi, is this the compost.com podcast? I wanted to talk to that cute, but he's kind of creepy guy, Ezra. Yeah, that's me getting more cute and creepy by the minute. Today on Compose.com podcast, we're going to be talking to Angela Miles Beeching, who wrote the acclaimed book, Beyond Talent, and it's just a wonderful book about creating a sustainable music career, but there's so much more to gain from this from musicians of all levels, and I hope you stick around for the interview after this tune. I start each podcast off with a song that kind of reflects the mood and what I'm going through in my life because I'm just that kind of selfish kind of guy. And uh, <laughs> I don't think much about the show or what's, what the interview is about or anything. Just pick songs and music that makes me feel. And uh, so I, I love that this song was available. This is uh, Getting Too Deep. I don't know if I can say the word on here, the title of this. I don't know. I don't have any bleeps with me right now, so maybe I shouldn't. So check the, <laughs> the notes for the title. This was started by Brandon. It's a really cool song. But, uh, you know, one thing, and the reason it's getting way too deep, and it does get way too deep, is because uh, for the first time in quite a long time, I'm not going to say how long, I'm, I am trying to make music solely as my living again. And I've done it before as a very long time ago. And it does get too deep sometimes. And that's why I brought on this uh, career counsel- counselor for musicians uh, just solely because I want to talk to her. I'm glad you can sit in on the show and listen to my therapy session with Angela Miles Beeching because she wrote this great book called Beyond Talent. And it really is a good book. You might read some of the reviews and say, oh, it's for classical musicians. Well, it's not. It is, but it's not. It's really one of the first books written for classical musicians in their careers, uh, well, or the first I've, I've heard of. So it's, it does focus that way, but it is so useful. And, and really, it's the information is something that works broadly across any kind of music uh, path. And this interview was pre-recorded, so I can tell you it's a really good interview. I walked away with a lot of really cool stuff, great things that I'm going to insert into my music career, into my music life. And I'm starting tomorrow with some of the things that I've learned from talking with her. It's such an enjoyable conversation we had. I don't even know if you call what I do an interview. It's it's a conversation. And we're about to have our conversation in just a little bit. Today, uh, we, we ran a little bit long, so I'm going to keep it short. I just want to say every all the music used on this show is from Compose.com, K-O-M-P-O-Z.com. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, you don't know what Compose is. Well, you should if you're a musician because or a lyricist, a ranger, whatever, come on over 
you can uh, create collaborations online with people from around the world. Incredible collaborations of a virtual band, virtual releases, al- albums, uh, digital releases, all kinds of stuff. But you make it with people from around the world. It's a cool little community and a tool. Now, if you're listening from Compose, please go over to iTunes and subscribe. That way you can keep up with the show. And also, while you're there, leave a comment, leave a, a rating on the iTunes podcast. So, uh, you know, I'm a musician. I'm sensitive. You know, I need to know that you appreciate what you're hearing. And also, write me at podcast at Compose, K-O-M-P-O-Z dot com. And let me know what kind of guests you want, what kind of topics you want to cover uh, in saying that, now I've done a couple of authors of books for these last podcasts, but coming up, we have some great musicians we're going to be talking to. Some of the that are out on the road and will be really cool. I can't even go too much into it, but it's really cool when I'm trying to lock down, you know, and I'm a little honey badger, so I, I go after the big ones. And hopefully we'll have some really neat uh, musicians coming up. So you'll want to subscribe in iTunes, keep an eye on what's going on with the Compose podcast. It's going to be fun this year. But right now, it's time for the king-ass tip of the day. I love it when you give me advice. I've been working on... Uh, music videos lately actually I've, i'm working on like eight of them at the same time so it's all up in my head and i've been doing video like in my another career for a very long time but i've done it more on the commercial side and uh so when i came here i had done a lot of music videos and i started working with uh some guys that do music videos and they do good ones but I was surprised when I was working with them that they don't use lighting because <clears throat> in the film and the video stuff that I've done all of my career, we always use lighting because lighting brings out a depth uh, that you just can't recreate unless you're just some kind of amazing CGI <laughs> wonder with the effects. And a lot of these uh, videographers and guys that are making music videos rely on the effects to try to lighten up and do dramatic effects where it would be so much simpler if you went down. And here's my tip to whatever area, it depends what part of the world you're in. Here we have a place called Home Depot, another one called Lowe's, but really it's just a big-ass hardware store (laughs) that you can go buy any kind of, uh, you know, things, houseware, hardware kind of things. And they have these things called shop lights, and they're can lights. And if you go in there, now there's this thing called three-point lighting, which I use a lot in, in my... You'll see a photographer's use this if you've ever been for like a professional, you know, family photo or something. And it is three-point lighting. You can accomplish this in your music videos with your iPhone or your nice SLR camera, whatever you're doing a music video with. Go buy these lights because you can get these can lights for about $10 at least U.S. here. So I'm sure they're cheap in Europe or wherever you are. And they are shop lights. They're made out of... uh, uh, aluminum. Maybe we can throw a link on to Amazon or something and show a picture of what they look like. They have clamps on them. They might be called clamp lights, can lights, shop lights. And there's different sizes. You can get the different types of lights you need for a three-point lighting setup. And go look that up on YouTube. You can probably learn that in about five minutes, some different techniques for three-point lighting. I'm not going to go into that. But that's a real cheap way to get some real depth into really any kind of little music video you're doing, little or big. 
uh, you, once you do this, you try out some techniques with lighting uh, and throw some effects on there. Use your iPhone, it doesn't matter, just something with HD. And you're gonna be really surprised at the depth you're gonna pick up by using some lighting and some lighting techniques. Good luck with that, that's my tip of the day. Wow, you're Well, thank you again for joining us. We're about to jump into this interview with Angela. I joke a lot about my King as per persona, but I really am humbled and, and so glad that you join me uh, to listen to these and allow me an opportunity to talk to these people. I really enjoy it. And you're going to really enjoy this interview, this conversation with Angela. Once again, stay tuned. After the interview, I play my song of the week, which really is not the week, but whatever. It works. These are the songs that I have on my iPod and that I really want to show off on the show. So I have a neat one for this week that I'm really enjoying. But right now, let's kick this thing out. We are here today with Angela Miles Beeching. She's the author of the acclaimed Beyond Talent, creating a successful career in music. Now, Angela is a uh, music, uh, she does music individual coaching. She also does workshops uh, that help musicians uh, find their way in their career and I believe, you, Angela, you call it, uh, you work in the dream business, is that? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that kind of is the, the business of, of dreams. Being a musician is, is something of going after your dream when you're really a musician. And you help people do that in very real practical ways. Is that uh, yeah. through your coaching and through your, your new book? And it's called Beyond Talent. And uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from musically, what brought you into this music world? Uh, and just take it up to writing this book and uh, what uh, brought you to write this book and what kind of response you've had from it. Sure. Sure, Ezra. Um, well, thanks. It's, it's nice talking with you. And yeah. Uh, yeah, about my background, I started out as a cellist. I never in a million years thought I would um, write a book or become a career consultant or now my day job is at Manhattan School of Music in New York where I direct the Center for Music Entrepreneurship. So um, I just started out only being interested in playing the cello. I couldn't be bothered with anything else. And while I was getting a master's degree, I complained to the department that they didn't have any kind of career assistance. I wanted a some sort of resource for finding out about grants, fi figuring out how to book your own concerts, how mm -hmm. to promote yourself, all that stuff. And the department chair said, write us a proposal. And I didn't even know what a proposal was, but I wrote something <laughs> up. I gave it to them. They read it and they said, fine, we're going to make this your teaching assistantship. You get to start this thing. <laughs> so I was smart on their part because they got cheap and interested labor. Me, right. <laughs> um, I learned a ton, but as I said, I was just focused on becoming a cellist. I, I ended up studying in Paris for a couple of years because I did find out how to write grants and all of that. And my goal was to get a university tenure track teaching job and play a lot of chamber music. That was really what I was interested in. 
And I'm one of those people that actually, you know, achieves their goal, their dream. And then they find out, wow, this isn't quite the way I expected it to right. be. You know, it so often happens in life. You, you learn as you go. So um, I had been teaching upstate New York um, and I wanted to move back to Boston where I'd done some of my earlier training and I liked the city. So I moved back and eventually this job opened up at New England Conservatory. I thought, eh, maybe I'll do this for a couple of years, you know, running their career center. But I, I was there for 17 because I really love working with musicians on these career issues. It's fascinating to me because you know, each person is so individual and what can help one person might be, you know, a, a metaphor, an analogy, right. a, a contact, um, a certain resource. And it's, um, I just find it really invigorating. So I was doing this work at New England Conservatory and I was frustrated because there wasn't one resource that seemed to answer the typical range of questions that would come from students and from alums and, you know, professional musicians that I would meet. They, they would want typically this kind of range of issues answered. So I ended up starting out writing all these series of handouts that we used in the office and eventually compiled it. Um, I, thought, I thought you could just sort of throw it together and make it into a book and find yourself a publisher, and that was a whole other ordeal, like finding out... <laughs> what was involved in that but it was fascinating and I learned a ton along the way so the the first edition was out I think in 2005 and then you know these things go out of date so fast the the second edition was 2010 I have a um translated edition in Japan in Japanese that's um you know, edited was that was put out a few years ago, and there's a new one coming out in Chinese. So, oh wow, this is how sort of the consulting work got started. Is is often people have a specific situation in their career that they're facing, and and we sort of carve that into a um, shape that into a project. So I definitely work with people on a project basis. I'm not. I'm more of the the pop rock kind of mm-hmm. way of, of I've been playing clubs and touring and stuff like that and done some s- sync licensing and publishing. But, uh, you know, that's such an interesting side of music, which is the classical side, which, you know, as I read this, I was thinking, you know, that is almost everybody that I started with, that's where they first started was in mm-hmm. an education of music, you know, and it was usually classical or jazz with a hopes of maybe this contributing first to their whatever band or project they're in right then, but really kind of long-term career-wise as thinking, well, if I get the education in music, then I'll be able to stay in music and have a career in music. And usually it was in, in some kind of classical form or in teaching or something like that. And, you know, in your book, you talk a lot about uh, in this field uh, how many openings like just for classical musicians what a small door is open i think this is this really applies to musicians of every discipline of every genre the the you know there's so many people who when they get started they're kind of starstruck you know we all love performing and we want to be in the limelight and we want to be admired or you know some people want to get rich and famous some people you know just have this vision of that career that they're 
after. And and when you're young, there's there's no reason to be concerned about supply and demand and the number of opportunities or how tough it actually right. is. But at some point, you have to start considering, okay, where am I headed? And am I actually doing what it takes to, you know, to build a, a fan base or to, you know, have enough of a followings to support my goals or my dreams. And yeah, some of the statistics that are out there, this is easier to, you know, uh, find numbers for people who are interested in, for instance, orchestral careers. But, you know, in the singer-songwriter circuit, it's just the same thing as with the classical music world, there are only so many, like, prime festivals or yeah. performance opportunities. And trying to figure out, okay, how what are the stepping stones to get me to that place or, you know, is there some alternative route or is there another kind of performance venue that I, you know, that I may be interested in that I want to create a different path? Well, you know, let me I want to read a little something for a highlight from your book that says, so although there's nothing wrong with going for gold, which is kind of the thought a lot, like you said, when people are younger, there's it's it's kind of a limited go for gold. I mean, that's almost what yep. you think of when you think of being a musician, but it says it can be a problem if the musician views anything short of this as a failure with a narrow view of success. Musicians unconsciously limit their careers, their satisfaction and their professional fulfillment. You know, that was such a neat quote. I had to highlight that because that is something and kind of what you're talking about is it is those, those limited slots that are available for even locally, like you said, in the singer-songwriter, you know, this weekend, there's only so many, first of all, hot clubs that will pay enough for, mm -hmm. you, for you to headline there. And there's only so many slots that are yeah. available this weekend to make money to pay your rent, to be, you yeah. know, honest. But uh, that going for gold idea that so many of us musicians have, which I think is kind of brought on by a lot of the media and the, the movies and books we read of the musician, you know, going for it as if it's, it's not a, a well thought out path at all. It's just like a kind of a, a just walking off a cliff with all of your talent. And that's kind of the name of your book and just hoping for the best and knowing that you can yeah. do it, but not really looking at the landscape. That's the reality of what's out there. And so you talk, you know, go on a little bit more about, you know, I like the, the, the portfolio idea of finding different ways that you can fit in. And in your book, you talk a little bit about the, the cellist, and I'm sorry, I don't remember his name. Sure. Yeah, the guy's name is Matt Heimovitz, who um, was, I think, a child prodigy, and he won all these awards early on. But he kind of got... Um, discouraged by the fact that he would be playing these concerts. He'd look out in the audience, it's like traditional concert, traditional classical concert, and there are a lot of gray-haired people out there. <laughs> and he was thinking, like, who am I connecting with? It kind of like one of those come-to-Jesus moments where you're thinking, why am I doing this? Yeah. And he just had this idea that <clears throat> if he could take a traditional cello recital or concert of the music that he was really interested in, and be performing in clubs, 
um, some of them, you know, jazz clubs, you know, other kinds of non-traditional places for classical musicians, that he could really have a more real and authentic connection with fans. And um, he really started a whole movement there. Now there are string quartets. There's all these people looking to do these kinds of bookings. But he actually found himself a, a, a booking agent, um, a representative who was used to booking rock acts to help mm. him create a different path. And to put, you know, for him to put himself in a place where he is bound to be noticed because it's just, it breaks the uh, monotonous hum of, of whatever goes on in that space, yeah. what people are used to. And then all of a sudden, wow, I'm looking at this and it's, it's almost, you know, creating, it might be a little bit more difficult because it's something I've done in my own career lately is, you know, I came from, and, and the thinking that this is what we did as a band, we booked tours. We went around to the clubs and the little, you know, the, the strips in whatever big town we're in. And but when I came back, first of all, I was so tired of that lifestyle, the bar scene and all this kind of thing that I started creating my own venues at a bike shop or, you know, yeah. and working out something with the owner and saying, hey, your customers can have, you know, you could like have a show here. We'll get some uh, catered food, some bring your own wine and have a neat little event for your 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 customers and my a place so for mine. Were you writing songs that were bike related well, you know, that's not a bad idea, but no, see, I, I should. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking you could also create a jingle for the bike shops. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, something yeah. really get down to a community of people where yeah. you connect with them, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think that this is really at the core. This is what people lose sight of when they're busy wanting to advance their careers. They kind of lose track of what is the connection that they want to make with real people. And that and that there might be a much more satisfying um, venue or way to create performance opportunities um, that are that's really rewarding to them emotionally, intellectually, all of that thing, but also financially, that there could be a, a better way to to make their own their own path. Yeah, it's something very personal. It's like another uh, a quote from your book is, it, you know, it talks about knowing yourself, know both your strengths and your weaknesses, because it's, and you know, we live in such a neat time that the possibility is there that it can really, a career in music can really wrap around your strengths and weaknesses. You know, uh, maybe in the past that this was available, but it is something that, it does. It doesn't always have to be completely performance because a lot of the the education and a lot of the knowledge that you have can lend itself to, like you say, like in teaching and this portfolio career. No, absolutely, and I I think th this issue of how you can have a sustainable career mm -hmm. over time, um, with the economy taking a nosedive, there were a lot of freelancers in New York and Boston that were used to doing kind of the top tier um, freelancing work with, you know, opera companies and um, ballet uh, companies and sort of pickup orchestras. And when all of those organizations had to start cutting back on the number of performances and the uh, 
the large scale productions that they had done, they, they were sort of shrinking down to, to make their own budgets work. It meant that the top tier um, freelancers had now had, had to start now taking the second tier stuff. Yeah. And that pushed out a whole set of freelancers who suddenly needed to rebalance the portfolio careers that they were doing if they if they both taught and performed and maybe had a third area that they were doing they were just trying to change those percentages so that they could um, sustain themselves and and work through this so the more multi um, faceted you are as a as a musician as a person as a as a citizen um, the better able you'll be to sustain these economic, um, you know, changes. Yeah. And you know, that's something of an entrepreneurial kind of spirit, you know, that you talk about that kind of goes along with just being able, whether you're a musician or anything, having a portfolio career of any type takes this kind of, uh, entrepreneurial spirit that, that you talk about. Give me one second. There's one I want. I wanted to bring up one. This is one of those good old edit times, where, where, where I'm looking for. <laughs> this, yeah, was it Sarah Bob? Yeah, she's the pianist that that was not real good at dealing with the business side. Is that? Oh yeah, I think I falsified. This is just an illustration, yeah. Helen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ta- this is just kind of an illustration that you use in the book about right. Helen, and you know, with her kind of. Uh, going the the old approach where she's building some fan base and everything but she's not real good at at building her network and dealing with the business side of things which is it's just a must you know to have a career like this oh can you talk a little bit about what kind of skills you believe it takes uh for for this kind of entrepreneurial kind of idea of a musician in this portfolio career um yeah i just you know the 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 truth is that not every musician is going to have like the full package of what it takes plus all of the time and the patience to um, manage everything on their own. So what people often do is that they figure out within their own band or their own ensemble, you know, who has the different strengths and how can we work together to compensate, you know, for yeah. each other's packages. I mean, I just think that that makes sense. But um, the basic thing that I find that musicians, um, when they're lacking this, it just, you know, short circuits everything is this sense that they are the one in charge, that they are the person that's going to make this happen, that it's not about getting lucky or making your big break or, you know, having the right person hear this one performance, then they get signed and, you know, suddenly, bingo, they're they're famous. It just, you know, yeah. life doesn't happen like that. This idea that something's going to swoop in, somebody's going to yeah. swoop in and pick you yeah. up because you're just so talented. You got to do it. And that's sad, you know, because I know that musicians, it's more, uh, I know they that everybody works very hard for their skills and their talents, but musicians, a lot of times, I wonder, I, my circle is so much musicians that I don't know the outside world very well, but mm-hmm. I know that it doesn't end after they get home from their day job. It's, it almost just begins, you know, their, their yeah. musician night. And so maybe we feel a little bit more entitled of, you know, maybe a lot of confusion of 
how do I figure this out? And what yeah. is it? Is it really fair today to expect so many skills of of social media, which you have some real neat things mm -hmm. on networking and social media in the book? Yeah. There's so many skills, though, that are expected of a musician. And, you know, why couldn't we just be those crazy musicians that can barely, you know, keep their, <laughs> yeah. keep their schedule together? But it really is kind of expected nowadays. You know, networking was something I did not come into until much later in my career. I've been doing music almost 24 years. And it was so, but I wish I would have understood how important it was to develop and to uh, to grow my network because a network is almost everything, especially in the music world. It's yeah. not something you can do by yourself. And there's like circles around venues and 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 uh, scenes in different towns, yeah. that, you know, that people can help you get into. What would you say to somebody that is is having a hard time developing that network? What are some uh, tools you might uh, counsel them in and mm -hmm. and developing to be able to be more confident in building that network. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you're like in the capital of networking. You're in Austin, you know, and I think about the South by Southwest and, you know, it's music city. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I just think that the, the mistake I see most musicians making is this idea that networking, thinking that, that networking is, um, trying to schmooze someone who is powerful and who can make things happen in your career. So they right away feel this horrible power differential, and they're usually trying to talk to somebody who either doesn't have time for them or they don't have a connection to. Right. And, and so starting with a perfect stranger um, who is operating on a different level in their career is not the place to start with networking and not not where to think about it. Um, I think instead of thinking about who do you know who is playing the kind of venues that you would aspire to not, you know, five years from now, but maybe in a few months, you mm -hmm. know? So someplace that's, that's sort of within a stretch of your arm, but not a long stretch. And to just talk with that person, uh, you know, you instead of thinking of them as a competitor, but just say, hey, I could really use some advice. I, I saw that you played this gig, you know, last month. It looked like it was really successful. And I'd just love to know, you know, how you got connected or what you might recommend for me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not as far along in my career. I mean, to be humble about this right. and, and to, you know... In these kinds of conversations, you can take someone out for coffee or a drink or, you know, go have lunch with them. And you're kind of picking their brain as a colleague and as someone you respect. Yeah. And kind of respecting yourself enough to feel like you are their colleague, even if they're in a different, maybe they've achieved <laughs> something that you haven't. That's as a musician and a younger musician to like you talking about somebody at a venue that you want to be at. You know, to idealize there or to glamorize a musician that was just a little bit ahead of where I was mm -hmm. at a young age that was at a venue that maybe was the hot spot at the time it seemed like, oh, it's such a huge thing and that they're playing there. But really to respect yourself enough to think of yourself as a colleague that you can take them out for lunch and uh, and share information in that way, because 
really, I love that the way you put that. It's just kind of going, you know, it kind of reminded me of the idea of LinkedIn, the, the website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of going by small connections to greater expanding connections, but starting right where you are. How techy do you believe you have to be uh, <laughs> to, to, yeah. uh, to really explore these, these options, uh, such, especially yeah. like social media? Right. Is that another skill that is just a must have right. nowadays? Um, you know, this is the terrible thing because if you read a bunch of these self-help books and you're, you know, following everything, you'd, you'd get to this point where you think I'd have to have, you know, 48 hours in each day right. to get at what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so people end up feeling defeated and they feel like no matter what they choose to, to put their energies, there's always 12 other things that they're not getting to. Right. So... Um, often when I'm meeting with people one-on-one, we do a kind of assessment. Okay, what have you got going for you now? And what are your immediate goals or short-term goals? And we're trying to simplify things in some ways to, to figure out what's that next step that you need to be taking this week or this month um, to, to really deal with things one at a time. So sometimes people will come in and and say, you know, I really want to get these bookings, you know, in this for this next season. This is my my big goal right now. Or maybe, you know, I'm going to be releasing an album or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, whatever their goal is. Um, Usually in unpacking that goal, you will sort of discover that there are several steps that haven't been taken yet that are kind of necessary. Yeah. So. For instance, if you want to get these bookings, you know, if a musician comes in and saying, this is this is what I want to take my performances to this next level, and we're looking at those venues and thinking about how they're going to contact those managers or those presenters, um, and we're asking, okay, well, what would you be sending this person, or what you know, if they ask for your press kit, what have you got? Then we're taking a look at that and thinking, oh, if this is not really presentable or it's not up to snuff yet what would be you know the minimum <laughs> that you would want to put into that in terms of time effort money mm-hmm. to to get that to that level and in terms of online materials i mean it's very possible to have a kind of stripped down landing page that does everything you need it to right. in terms of a basic press kit and really you know, they want to know what you sound like. They want to know a little bit about your background. They want to see that, you know, you've got a presence online so that you're legit in some ways and, and that you're responsive. Maybe remembering uh, this, is, I'm talking to myself here that I am trying to make a living in music, not as a graphic designer. Yeah. You yeah. know, cause you can get like, <laughs> Oh, cause really it is about the content that you are maybe to the promoter. It's he want, he's not there to, to see your graphic design skills or how much you paid a graphic designer. Right. But as long as it's presentable and usually maybe clean is the best way to go when you don't have the skills or the money to go, you know, more designed to go really yeah. clean where it's just presenting the material. Well, the yeah. other thing I would say about that is when people, you know, whether they do it on their own or they spend a lot of money and have someone else do it for them, the the real object is that, your materials should really reflect who you are. I mean, the authentic you. Yeah. 
Um, if you're trying to puff yourself up or make yourself look a certain slick way because you think that's what, you know, this manager or, or you know, this booking agent is going to want, it's not, you're not helping yourself because what they really want is to know, okay, what are you really about? What's your music really about? And it is very possible to do an inexpensive and yet very compelling presentation. But that that thinking through, okay, what what do I want to communicate about myself, about my music? What's the me I want to put out there? And does this ring true? It's hard to do that on your own. Yeah. So that, you know, whether you're working with a consultant or uh, a good friend or, you know, whatever, you, you know, there's some exercises you can do in terms of um, thinking through what your music is like, what people tell you it's like, and, and uh, getting to the essential yeah, um, issues. Music like you said, what is it that you have to offer? Because it really is that unique perspective that you have that mm -hmm. is your thing to offer. Whether yeah. you're playing a certain genre doesn't really matter. What is you inside of that music? And, you know, here's a, a highlight, you know, from your book, which was reminding yourself of why you got involved in the music in the first place. Your most basic reasoning for being a musician is kind of would come through as you're you know, I hate using marketing words, but your niche, it's, it really is what you have to offer. But I think the good thing about this is that when people do work on their materials and they get some feedback on it and they, they get so that they feel like, wow, I really am communicating who I am. Um, they often feel a lot more confident and that helps with the networking. It helps with the booking. It helps with the performing. So I, I mean, I think that there's some real value in in thinking this through. The other thing I would say about that step-by-step -step thing, this is so typical. It's the it's the most basic thing that I do in working, you know, one-on-one -on -one with anybody. Is we're we're talking through their project, their goals, all of these things, and at the end of a session, it's typical. Okay, what are you going to do about it this week? This. Yeah basic thing. And I always say to people, you know, choose three really basic and manageable things. If you've got a crazy week and all you can do is send three targeted emails and maybe they're just networking, you know, you know, connecting with someone saying, Hey, I'd like to take you out for lunch or whatever. Who are those three people that you're going to contact? Um, if you do that, if you're working steadily every week on you know, concrete three specific things you can do for your career, you'll be amazed at what you can accomplish, you know, in six months. But but often people, in, until they've been really sort of pigeonholed or, you know, um, asked very specifically, what are you going to do about it this week? Right. Um, we, we often just fritter our time away. I mean, I, I do this myself, you know, I have to get way more specific about what am I, what am I actually going to do? Well, what do you, what would you suggest for somebody that can't like come to you in New York or yeah. for individual coaching? Uh, how do you keep on track like that? Because, you know, you talk about somewhere in the book also about, 
it, it is those those little decisions you make each day that mm-hmm. are leading towards something, and they really are. It's these actions. I, I there's this uh kind of imagery of um or this idea of a, a an airline or airplane that if you turn it just a few degrees, it's going to take you completely to a different place. I've heard that before, but that is so true. How would you suggest somebody that just that cannot afford or not in a place to get specific uh, Mm -hmm. career counseling or or weekly counseling or uh, therapy? We all need, we all need that. That should be provided by Obama for all musicians. That's right. (laughs) But yeah. how would you do that? How do you keep motivated? How do you, how do you let people keep themselves yeah. motivated when they leave you? Well, um, a lot of times when we're looking at networking, there's a kind of um, diagram you can make, and uh, you know, with these concentric circles. And in the in the in the smallest circle <clears throat> that surrounds you, I I like to think of that as your inner circle. The the people who are um, closest to you that you would turn to for advice or, you know, direction or feedback. And these might be, you know, mentors, they may be colleagues, they may be people completely outside of music, but we all have a few people whose judgment they, we really trust. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, we, when we have a project that we're working on or a large scale goal, we just haven't connected with, you know, one or another of these mentors in our lives and, and sort of ask them to sit down with you and, and help you think through the steps that you're imagining that this project is going to take. So sometimes there are people right in our circle, you know, that you could do, you could at least, think through on these yeah. basic levels. And the other, the other um, good strategy I've seen people do is they, they, they work with a project buddy. You know, they find someone else who's got some goal that they're working on and they can just check in with their person, you know, once a week um, and they're accountable to each other. Okay, what are the three things you did this week? And that way they can, they can check. Um, when you're, when you have to fess up to somebody, ah, well, I actually didn't follow through on that, or I got discouraged about this, you're going to be more likely to, um, make good on it. You really do need that bouncing board. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. I've always been in bands or, you know, kind of band like structures in music with people that had different roles. And and when I finally went solo Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden other people's names, they didn't have the same kind of drive to, yeah. to continue into projects. I found that I had to, it was too difficult. Maybe at the level that I'm at, if it's a very small time musician, it is too difficult to do all the things that need to be done. And to yeah. also have that kind of emotional uh, and sounding board support, you know, that you have in somebody else that is also emotionally and maybe financially or in many different ways invested in, yeah. in what you're doing, you know, and well, ma- you know, maybe. Oh, go ahead. There, there's one strategy that I've seen people use in these situations when they're basically a solo artist mm-hmm. and they they don't have all the time and the resources to do everything on their own. And I've seen people create collectives. Uh, I've seen composers do this. I've seen singer songwriters do this. You know, where they they band together and they do like a night of you know four singers. Um, 
and they do, you know, they sort of they sort of share the show, but they also share the booking and the promoting and everything, and their, um, you know, their their uh, email lists in promoting this, and that, you know, if you find colleagues that um, that are that are maybe in similar places in their careers or at mm. similar levels or maybe slightly uh, above where you feel you are right now, but you can help each other out. Uh, I think that that can be great. You know, and that's such a great uh, thought and direction. There's something I did, um, you know, reaching out, even if you are above where the others are, you know, a lot of it is, is noticing what, what other people's, what your crowd is. Mm -hmm. And that comes from what you talked about, you know, letting other people's kind of tell you what you are, but understanding what your crowd is and looking for other people that you, maybe you could help that have a crowd that would enjoy your music and your crowd would enjoy their music. Like you're talking about, it's such a great way, you know, and that's really what I've kind of found is the only way for me to be able to push through bigger projects is to have other people, to bring in people that maybe want to open for me or people that I yeah. want to op- open for. And I'm like, Hey, my crowd is going to love your music and your crowd's going to enjoy mine. It's something very mutual. And, uh, you know, we're all human. So it's very communal and that's what we are. You know, it's, it's, yeah. there was a quote in your book. I don't know if I'm going to find it, but it was something about our, the solitary nature, uh, mm-hmm. of, of musicians uh, you know, it was in related to something else, but you know, that kind of stuck out to me. We do have kind of this tendency to be very solitary where, you know, it just to thrive in anything, you really have to embrace that community yeah. approach. Yeah. I think that there's too often this competitive feeling or this, um, isolationist approach and, I mean, even more than whether you're opening or someone's opening for you, I mean, a shared concert. So it's like, you know, there are like four singer songwriters. I've seen do this in the Boston area and they together, you know, are able to sell out a very large venue because they have four different, um, you know, uh, crowds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they're pooling their resources and they're so, you know, at intermission and after the show, they're selling all of their albums. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do stuff that they so clearly have a good time with each other. They do a few songs, you know, all four, they do some paired stuff and they all do individual things. I mean, I'm always looking for, cause I'm looking for more creative ways to help classical and jazz musicians who often don't have that kind of rapport so i started doing this with different artists that wanted to play with me i wanted to play with them we thought their our crowds would be very compatible but the my kind of my stipulation is they had to do a duet with me you know (laughs) if they're opening then they're bringing their crowd i was bringing my crowd but i always wanted a duet to kind of bring all our crowds to enjoy and to pay attention to the other uh, band and but for me it was real neat because it turned out at the end of the year now I'm working on a duet album. The way that you have a sustainable career is that you're benefiting. Not it can't be this very isolated kind of egotistical way that uh, is closed off anymore. Right. <laughs> you know it has to be something open because you're yeah. going to need the support of all the, all the the community around you. 
I uh, I want to leave with a few questions for you. I've kept you probably longer than I should have. It's, you know, this was just such a neat book. I want to encourage people to go check this out. But tell us a little bit of where they can find the book. Uh, any other resources that you think would be helpful for musicians? Sure. So Amazon, easy place to get the book. Um, and uh, I have a weekly blog called Monday Bites. If people want to get just a quick sort of um, career-related tips and perspective um, delivered to their their email every Monday morning, that's there too. Um, on the on my website, I have some other resources and suggestions. And when people have emailed me and just ask, you know, saying I'm looking for help around this, that, or the other thing, if there's a resource I can point them to, I'm always happy to do that. And Angela, I so much enjoyed talking to you. And everybody, run out and get that book. The book is just really <laughs> helpful for us musicians. And I hope to talk to you again. Great. Thanks a lot, Ezra. Thank you. This is my pick of the week. This is quarantine. Now, all the links to these are in the, the notes. Go take a look. And also on this show, we had shit getting deep. And I said it. Beep. There's the beep. And Mashihaya. Uh, uh, now, all the collaborators and stuff you can go take a look at. Desert Town Remix by C128. That's a great one. I love that one. And, of course, the intro was Summer of Tears that I've been using for a while, and I'm going to change that up. But we'll see you all next week. Email me at podcast at compose.com. Bye.